I used to play a game with some elementary school students called Boo Speak, where I would invite a student to leave the room and then, with the students left in the room, pick a word that we would try and eliminate from that student's vocabulary by sheer peer pressure. Once we had decided on a word, we would invite that student back into the room. I would have a conversation with the student, and whenever he would say the word, we would all say boo and or provide other negative feedback. It was fascinating to watch as some students really did stop using the chosen word, where other students became more adamant about using it. This week, we finish our study of Jeremiah the prophet, who was, for lack of a better phrase, booed for his message and ministry by the very people he was trying to save. And we ask ourselves, what can we learn from a booed prophet? Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hello and welcome back to part two of Jeremiah. Um, We studied last week as we mentioned, we studied that first half of Jeremiah and this week we're finishing up Jeremiah um, and continuing on kind of with more lamentations, (laughs) more lamenting of Jeremiah, more kind of that doom and gloom of last week. Um, So not exactly your exciting episode we are enjoying this yes they're not the (laughs) psalms man we love the psalms and now i remember why it felt so good to study the psalms right um but yeah this week so come follow me has a studying jeremiah 30 through 33 36 and lamentations 1 through 3 um we will be skipping around a little bit but really just um finishing out the life of jeremiah the life of him as as a prophet. And as we do this, because it kind of fills a lot of what, what's been happening, there's more, the story progresses, of course, but um, we studied about him. And so this week we wanted to do something a little different um, and learn from Jeremiah as a prophet and take what we learned from him and who he is as a prophet and what his role is as a prophet back then um, and turn that into a learning experience for us of who a prophet is today, what we have, um, what their role is, and maybe what our expectations are to be for those prophets today. Yeah, it's kind of a meta and study of the scriptures. We're, of course, what Jeremiah... So, so hip. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's what Jeremiah teaches, the message that he gives, but there's also reading Jeremiah as a character and understanding what he's doing that is really uh, fascinating and, as you said, really relevant. Um, we've spent, you and I have spent the last couple of weeks, um, not fully by choice, immersed in a lot of critical writing and um, listening and even discussions with people that are critical of the church. And we've spent a lot of time talking about it. We've uh, spent some time talking with others about it. And um, as we've as we've had these experiences, I've noticed at least a common core of those that are critical, whether it's uh, individuals that have never belonged to the church and are looking at our beliefs or our structure and and uh, and have something critical to say, or as is maybe more often the case, 
uh, individuals that are either in the church or used to be in the church and their criticisms that they have. What I noticed, the common core uh, between all of those experiences is that um, more often than not, the the critics or the criticism is against prophets and apostles. Um, and as we looked at the story of Jeremiah, it just seemed all too fitting. Um, this is right before our the Come Follow Me block begins. I think a context note that's really helpful is chapters 28 and 29 in Jeremiah uh, are two false prophets that come. Uh, they are even named. Chapter 28 is Hananiah and chapter 39 is Shemaiah. And they come and uh, in kind of the same tonality of a prophet declare a word of the Lord. Uh, Hananiah says that the Babylonian captivity will be broke, uh, broken in two years. So this brief experience, he says, they're going to have over two years will be broken. Uh, and Shemaiah gives uh, a similar message. The Lord is very clear that in both places, he sent neither one of them and uh, that they're seeking to make the people trust and lie. But that, I think, is an important note to to notice because when Jeremiah then gives his message that the Jews are going to be in captivity to the Babylonians for 70 years, it helps us understand why he is so unpopular. Um, these, the chapters, uh, chapter 37 and 38 aren't in our reading this week, but you might want to just read those. It, it reads almost like a comedy. How many times Jeremiah is in and out of prison uh, he'll be in prison. Zedekiah pulls him out of prison to ask him secretly what the Lord has to say. When Jeremiah gives his message, Zedekiah puts him back in prison and then pulls him back out of prison. Jeremiah will say, hey, I'll tell you what the Lord is saying, but don't put me back in prison again. And Zedekiah puts him back in prison again. It's almost laughable, uh, if it wasn't so tragic, how unbelieved Jeremiah was, how criticized he was as a prophet. Um, of course, we know this because Lehi, who's a contemporary with Jeremiah, um, was treated very much the same way. Um, Nephi, who shared a very similar message. Nephi's message is Jeremiah's message, that the Jews at Jerusalem will be captive to the Babylonians. And part of the reason why Laman and Lemuel didn't believe him is because uh, that wasn't culturally popular. It was not the inspiring message that you could hear from other people on the street, and it certainly wasn't the message that they themselves wanted to hear. And so the truth in this case, spoken by Jeremiah and Lehi and Nephi and others, uh, was not a popular truth. And so Jeremiah becomes in a really fascinating place to study just what a prophet isn't and what a prophet is. And you and I have talked a lot about this, um, I know in some previous episodes and just between us um, on what our expectations are of prophets and prophetic leaders. Yeah, we have had that a lot because we are in this era where there are so many opinions, so many um, voices. And so it's a common question of what what is a prophet? What are they not? Um, and managing our expectations for a prophet, I think, is important. And I think the first one that we learn right from what you're talking about here in Jeremiah is that um, a prophet is often not popular. And that's not because they're um, always saying hard things, like we learned from Jeremiah. That's not necessarily why, but just that we know that not everyone is going to listen and believe what they're saying. Yeah. There's that um, verse back in Isaiah when uh, it says, um, 
paraphrasing, but that the people say to Isaiah, um, see not, prophesy not unto us hard things, prophesy unto us smooth things. And if you remember a couple of years ago, Elder Holland picked that up in his talk, The Cost and Blessings of Discipleship, uh, and said essentially that same thing, that um, a marker of uh, criticism today of prophetic leaders is that people don't want to hear difficult messages. They don't want to hear messages that change them or challenge them to change. We want to hear smooth messages, easy messages. We just want the prophets to talk about love and kindness and goodness at General Conference, which they do. By and large, the messages they share are filled with love and compassion, but there are messages that challenge us and invite us to change. And sometimes those messages that are the hardest and receive the most criticism. So to this point, that prophets aren't necessarily going to be popular, and we shouldn't expect them to be. If a prophet isn't popular, that's not automatically a mark that they're a false prophet or that they're doing something wrong. In fact, it might be a mark that they're a true prophet and that they're doing something right. I think one another one that I think of is that prophets um, are not out to be experts in every field. Even though they are great and they're prophets, they are often not full trained historians or theologians or leaders of a huge kind of church. Public, public relations experts. <laughs> right. So they are called to represent uh, today, and I'm talking about today's prophets, that they're called to lead a church that they're learning and growing just like we are. Um, and so I think those expectations of our that they always have to get everything right at, down to the last detail in church history and um, all of those things. And I get it. It's hard to know because on one hand, we say that they're prophets and we know they're not, um, that they're fallible men. But um, we also know that they make mistakes. So what is the line there? I get that that can be difficult. But I think if we um, talk about this and learn about this, remember that they're not experts, but they are called to testify of Jesus Christ. And that is their most important role. So when we hear things from the past that maybe we realize now isn't right or that we've had to to change, um, I think that can be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think more helpful than pointing out, of course, what prophets aren't is looking at what they are. And this is where I think our study in Jeremiah this week uh, is a huge advantage to us because Jeremiah wasn't pro- uh, popular, uh, but he did fulfill the fundamental responsibilities of a prophet. Now, there are many of them in here, and as you study, you'll find your own. But we found two kind of umbrella things that Jeremiah is doing as a prophet that our prophetic leaders today do as well. The first one, Jeremiah helps his people understand and to the degree that he can deepen or develop their relationship with God. He serves a clarifying role and uh, and helping them understand and maybe even change their understanding of what the relationship is with God. And then number two, he's helping to gather them together as a people so that they can have unity with each other, but also so that they can serve others and make a difference in the world. And if you look at our prophetic leaders today, they do those two things all the time, helping us either understand and deepen our relationship with, with God or helping us to gather together as a church or as a people so that we can be a better force for good in the world. I'll give just one example of the first one that I found. This is Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah says at the very beginning in verse one, 
At the same time, saith the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And then in verse 9, the very end of the verse, I am the father to Israel. This phrasing of God being Israel's father isn't new to Jeremiah, but it's something that he senses the people haven't understood. The way they have treated God is as this as this distant God uh, who wins their battles for them and fights their wars for them and provides miracles for them, but they haven't treated him as a father. And so part of what Jeremiah is revealing to them is the feeling that, that God has, that the Lord has towards his people, which is he views us as his children, as his family, and desires that we treat him uh, with that same familial loyalty and love. And that's something that uh, the, the Jews in Jeremiah's day didn't understand. And I think maybe sometimes uh, we may not understand that as well. And so here's Jeremiah fulfilling the role of a prophet in clarifying what our relationship is with God, that he is our father, that he cares for us. And speaking specifically of the Lord of the Old Testament, who is Jehovah, who is Jesus, um, a father is someone that helps an individual change from one state to a different state. Our heavenly father helps us change from intelligence to a spirit child. Our earthly fathers help us change from a spirit to a bodied, embodied person. And the Lord is the father of our change from a, um, a carnal or, or natural man to a saint. And so uh, it's to be expected that the Lord asks us to change. And that's a relationship I don't know if uh, the people in Jeremiah's day were really comfortable with. And I don't know if we sometimes were as comfortable with that either. I think that's where we get in trouble. Like you were talking about the smooth God. Like it, it is mm. hard. I don't think that's a part of human nature that has changed very much is that um, it is hard to be corrected and to try and grow and change. Um, so I can relate to that, I think. Mm. But if if we can just emphasize a little bit here, um, I know that we talked about, it, it's interesting because we've talked about like, oh, Jeremiah is kind of doom and gloom and not, not very great things. I, I think this is a lesson for me in like what you're looking at. Um, whatever frame you're looking at, something can really change a study because Actually, I had a great study in Jeremiah, and it's because I was looking for um, this answer to this question, like, how is he teaching me um, to understand and develop my relationship with God? And I was really motivated. I had a whole page of notes of how um, how many great advice and this great overarching theme of of who God is and who who how he sees us. And just kind of repeating this idea of the families of Israel, of that God is um, our our father and we're all a family. Um, I love the repeated line in these chapters where God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. I think if there's an understanding, I, I love that phrasing, like, hey, you are my people. I'm going to be your God and I'm going to help you and I'm going to all of these things that he talks about, I'm going to call to you, I'm going to gather you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to bring back joy. Um, and so actually, Jeremiah, for me, really did this. He really did help me see and understand and even feel, um, feel I don't want to say excited. Help me out with the word. Because we say that too much. Yeah, just... Um, motivated. Motivated mm. to seek and understand God because of those things. 
um, and continuing on with that a little bit more is that he says, well, I'll just read another verse. I was kind of piecing together verses that I had read and studied, but this comes from chapter 33, verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. Um, the role of a prophet helps us understand who we are because he reminds us and helps us grow closer to God. I think that when many other people look at our faith and they think that we have a prophet, it can be easily looked at that we replace our relationship with God and we say, well, we have a prophet on earth, so we don't need God. Or maybe that I know I've heard people talk about that they feel like a prophet gets in the way of God. Like, I don't need someone to lead me. I can get closer to God. And I'm not saying that's not true because I think that many people, people can grow closer to God. But what I feel is that having a prophet for me does not block my relationship with God or doesn't interfere. Instead, it's um, an aid that helps me to understand and develop my relationship with God in greater and more meaningful, and I'd even say more broad ways, um, because of what a prophet teaches. And I really felt that in this in this study. I love, this is back in chapter 31, where uh, the Lord through Jeremiah says, this shall be the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And I love that emphasis of the idea that prophets help us to understand our relationship with God and to put his law in our inward parts, in our deepest parts. Um, for me, I'm, I'm similar to you. I am really grateful because uh, general conference is always a, a spiritual experience for me. But it's not just that, we were talking about this with general conference, I think we mentioned this last week. It's not that I go to conference and have an overwhelming, emotionally spiritual experience. It's that I go to general conference and my my mind is enlightened. I see my relationship with God more clearly. And I feel like his law, what he would have me do, is embedded into my heart in a way that I can't get really any other way. And so I, I, I just, I'm echoing you and you were echoing me and I was echoing you, but I love this idea that a prophet's responsibilities, an expectation we can have of a prophet that they uh, fulfill repeatedly is that they help us understand and deepen and develop our relationship with God. I think one of the ways that he does this, and maybe this is just adding on to these things that we've already talked about, but is I think that um, prophets help us understand and develop a relationship with God as they help us make promises with God. Um, and help us to see how we can get closer to God as we make commitments to him. Um, this comes from chapter 31. And I know Zach said this correctly. I probably have skipped around. I will just apologize for that of saying that it was Jeremiah talking or the Lord talking. Most of these are Jeremiah talking as the Lord. So I probably skipped around and Zach clarified that, that it was Jeremiah speaking as the Lord. So I just want to clarify that because I don't know which part I've said. But here's more of this in um, verse 
chapter 31, starting in um, verse 31, he talks about that he will make a new covenant with them. And further on down in verse 33, I will be their God again, and they will be my people. Um, And he talks about, for that you will know me. And this relationship, as he teaches us to make and keep promises with God. I think of our prophet today who teaches us how to stay on the covenant path and how to um, make and keep promises with a God who he is trying to usher us toward, not trying to block or, or get in the way of our relationship with God, but instead trying to enhance that relationship. The other thing that prophets do, that Jeremiah is doing and that modern prophets do, is that they gather people, um, both to create unity and strength in a community, and also then to empower that community to do good in the greater, wider world. This is back um, in last week's study in Jeremiah 16, but I love uh, these passages. Before the famous one that was the old scripture mastery where the Lord says he'll send forth fishers and hunters and uh, these, this great missionary force, uh, he prophesies that Israel will be cast out, that they'll be scattered, uh, which is the very state in which Jeremiah and the Jews find themselves. Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been captured by Assyria and scattered all over, and now they, the southern kingdom of Judah, are about to face the same thing. And so Jeremiah is looking at a people that are are physically scattered from what they used to be under King David, this united Israel, and now they're scattered across the whole face of the earth and uh, emotionally and religiously scattered as well. The prophecy is, this is Jeremiah 16, verse 14, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. In other words, there will come a day when the most famous thing that the Lord has done isn't, well, he helped Moses and the children of Israel get out of Egypt. It will be that he gathered this scattered group of people together, made them into a cohesive community, and then empowered that community to do good in the world. That's part of what Jeremiah is trying to do. And there are some places, I think, in in the study this week that we can find evidence of Jeremiah gathering people. Well, I'll start reading this in chapter 32, starting in verse 37. I will certainly gather them from all the lands where I have banished them in my anger, rage and intense wrath, and I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them integrity of heart and action. Um, I love that. I mean, obviously, I've already talked about how I loved that they will be my people, and I think that this kind of falls in in place for both of these ideas, that um, it's not just that he's very interested in us individually, but he really cares about gathering us together so that we can be uplifted together with other people. And then this emphasis emphasis here is, I will give them integrity of heart and action. And I thought, so how do we really tell God's people um, this integrity of heart and action? And I'm really motivated by this today. Um, 
as I see so many different faith groups and so many different great people doing great things that, um, that I feel that kindred um, spirit with of this integrity of heart and action, that they're doing good things. And that's, that's ultimately what I'm, I'm hoping to do too, is one of, as one of God's people is just to maybe add a little bit of, of goodness to the world. And I see many people doing that. And I think God is, um, gathering his people in many different ways, not just in our, in our denomination, in our church, um, but instead that there's many of his people gathering together. And I feel a lot of strength knowing that they're God's people too. And I, I just really like that feeling. Yeah. In fact, it makes me think of the first talk in this last general conference. President Oak's message was essentially that look at how the Lord is gathering his people, both in the church and in other areas, because God is the God of all children on the earth. Look at how the Lord is gathering people and motivating them to do good in our world. And what a great evidence that God is at work. I think for me, we talked about at the beginning how um, how kind of sad and hurtful it can be and depressing when you have to see the negative negativity um, that people aim at whatever group or religious group where you can just feel that heaviness there. Um, on the exact opposite side, I feel that for this idea of um, goodness gathering together. And I I think that is what I think of when I think of this, that they will be my people um, and this integrity of heart and action that we're going to work together and build something great. I think those are very two opposite feelings for me of this brings me so much hope. And I don't think you can find a more apt description of what um, our church leaders today are doing than that um, gathering. And that's President Nelson's watchword, right? Gathering Israel, but not just so that we can hang out with each other. Gathering Israel so that we can prepare the world for the Savior's second coming which of course involves spreading the message of the gospel, which we're involved in, but it also means serving and ministering. You look at the changes that have come into the church over the past five or six years, and at their core, they often have something to do with at least one of these two umbrella topics we've been studying today. Either they're a change involved in helping us better understand and or deepen our relationship with God, whether it's the emphasis on the name of the church um, or emphasizing the name of Christ when we talk and speak and teach. And or the change has something to do with our ability to be unified as a, as a group and then to do good in the world around us, uh, ministering, the change from home and visiting teaching to ministering. And so using just these two kind of litmus tests, if you will, show that Jeremiah was a prophet, despite what people might have said against him. And I think by that same token show that those that lead our church today are likewise called of God to do these two great works. I think one way to, um, or one way for me, I think that was powerful to kind of capture these ideas. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. 
Uh, that image is one that Isaiah used as well to describe the people as sick and without uh, a mortal way to heal that sickness or to cure that bruise. However, just a couple of verses later, Isaiah or Jeremiah uh, says this in chapter 33. Behold, I will bring it health and cure. I will cure them and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. I will pardon their iniquities, whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. I think, um, as I've studied Jeremiah, as, as difficult as it is to read about someone that had such a, a, a hard and heavy ministry uh, and had a message that was so unpopular, it was really motivating to see Jeremiah's love for the Lord, his desire to share that love with his people, and then to reflect about my own membership in this church and to see that same love from the Lord for me uh, and from the Lord through leaders to the rest of the world. Thank you so much for studying with us this episode. We hope that this begins a great study for you and that you have other ideas and feelings and maybe even promptings that come to you. We will see you next episode.